0: Before we begin, I just want to uh, honour a couple of people uh, before we dive into the message this morning. So first I want to honour Dan. It's been a big weekend. Um, and so we've, we've had our... Dan wasn't at the ladies' day yesterday, but there was a ladies' day yesterday. There was an election uh, yesterday. A lot of our, our church family went out to Wee Jasper for fireworks. And there was birthdays and things like that. Um, so we're a little sparse this morning, but I want to honour Dan as he always does when he leads, for for being enthusiastic and energetic um, for for worshipping together and for God. Um, So thank you, Dan. And I also want to honour, so I just want to honour Deb. So last week was Mother's Day and I was away um, and and Deb spoke a message. I want to say I've never done this before, but this message uh, on our podcast that Deb uh, spoke last week is required listening. Okay, so... um, if you're a part of this church or you just happen to be here uh, today for the first time, this is Required Listening. Um, look up the podcast. There's a great message from Deb. Uh, it's entitled Being a Mum Is because it was Mother's Day, um, and, and it's from the heart of, of, of Deb as a mother, um, but it's, it's, it's so much more than just about mums, and it's really about church family. Um, and what it means to be uh, a brother, a mother, a father, uh, a a son, a daughter um, in in God's kingdom. And so, I I, I haven't written it down, so I'll get the the quote wrong, but there's a quote that I loved from it, um, and and, uh, I'll truncate a little bit, but um, Deb said that when we give our life to Jesus, uh, we become family beyond biological constraints. Um, And so I just loved that, and, and, and that when we give our life to Jesus, uh, we become one family. And so I just loved how Deb drew that out in her message. And, um, and yeah, so it was a great message around practically how do we be family and how do we um, serve and love one another. And so thanks, Deb, for that last week. Um, if you just listen to that message you think, oh, Deb's been preaching for 20 years and she's so confident. But um, those of us that know Deb really well know that. Um, that's been a huge step of faith in, for her to, to step out into preaching. And so she's doing such an amazing job. Um, So Dan's already prayed, I'm going to pray um, as we begin this this series. So Father, as we think about being a church family, as we think about being one family beyond biological constraints, I pray that throughout this series you shape us uh, to to, uh, have a culture that doesn't mirror the world or doesn't react against the world, but actually uh, learns from what you would have us be as your people. And so I pray that you would shape this church community, as you've always been doing for over 30 years, Lord, and as you will do for many years to come. But we pray especially for our time during this series, that you would shape us, that you would shape the culture of the church as a potter shapes clay. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, some of us, uh, and we've had an election yesterday that some of us were aware of, some of us were not, perhaps, Dan, um, and... uh, um, I was telling my, my kids as I went to vote yesterday how exciting it was that I get to choose the Prime Minister um, and, and they were a bit too smart for me and said oh but you know you only get one vote and I thought oh, well yeah, that's true but I get to choose and so it's a blessing to live in a country where at least get to have some input into that but that brings out our sense of culture and left and right or progressive and conservative and all these labels and words we put on it and so some of us here this morning might believe that culture of the world, the culture of Australia, is going to hell in a handbasket. I actually googled, where does that phrase come from? And there's no meaning behind it other than handbasket alliterates with hell. Um, and, and so sometimes people say handbag or, or, or things like that. But you might believe that the culture of the world is going to hell in a handbasket, that things have never been worse, that, that, that uh, uh, the world's falling apart, or you might believe, and I think there's probably some of us here this morning that would think about it the culture this way, that we've reached a new level of enlightenment. That the culture has progressed uh, to, to a place that it's never been before, that society's never been more advanced, obviously technologically, technologically, but also you know culturally that we've advanced to this new level. But the thing is, whether we think the world's going to hell in a handbasket culturally, or whether it's new and enlightened and the most exciting time to live in culturally, regardless of what we think about the culture of the world, that should have nothing to do with shaping the culture of the church. In Romans twelve two, the apostle Paul wrote this to the churches. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. That word pattern, we could easily translate culture. Literally, it's this age. So the Apostles Paul's saying, don't be shaped by the culture, the pattern of this age. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I love the way that the message version puts it, and this is not the whole verse from the message version, uh, but it says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. And so throughout this series, this Culture Code series, what we're going to do is be exploring not how should we respond to the world or what should we think about the culture of the world, should we you know, be shaped by it or should we react against it. We're not actually going to be thinking about the culture of the world at all not intentionally anyway it's a bit hard to remove ourselves from the substance in which we exist but we're going to be thinking about we're going to be fixing our attention on god we're going to be asking what values should shape the culture of the church and when i say church uh, hopefully, those of us that are regular here know I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about the, the hour and a half or so, or a couple of hours that we add morning tea in, uh, that we gather together for worship. I'm not sure, talking about just that. I'm talking about culture of the church family, the people of the church. What should shape the way that we interact with each other? How should we be with one another? That's, that's what we're exploring during this series. And so throughout the New Testament, there's all these these, uh, phrases that are directed towards the the followers of Jesus or the disciples of Jesus or or later on when that gets called the church, uh, the church. And it's these phrases that go one another or each other. And so there are all these phrases that are not so much directed outward. How should the church be to those outside? There's a lot of that. There's a lot of these phrases that say, be this way with one another. Be this way with each other. And and so what we're doing through this series, I've grouped those together and we're going to explore six things that that we're calling like a cultural code, which is just a a title, don't get too wrapped up in the word code, but but, but essentially a list of, of values about how the Bible, the New Testament, talks about how we should be together as a church. And I want to say this series is intentionally inward-looking. It's intentionally inward-looking, and that's necessary that from time to time that we take a look in. Just as we need to, you know, with our physical bodies, be mindful of our diet uh, and mindful of of what inputs we're putting into our body so that it remains healthy. With the church, we need to be, uh, from time to time, take a check of what are we putting in? How are we functioning inwardly? And so this isn't a practice of nasal gazing. It's not kind of a, a patting our back or a, or, or a self-obsession with the church, but it's necessary for our health so that we can be sustained on mission to the world. And so throughout this series, we're not going to forget about the world outside us. We're not going to be stopped being missionary, missionarily oriented to the world outside us. But we're going to take a, a little look in to see how we should be as the church. And so I want to give you a challenge just to keep our, our minds missionally oriented while we're having a look in. The challenge I want to give you, this is a six week series, but we're going to have a two week break so over the next eight weeks, I'm hoping you'll continue this beyond eight weeks, but over the next eight weeks while we look in I want you to intentionally pray out in a specific way. I want you to think about one person who's not yet a believer in Jesus and some of you might already be doing, not just one I already pray for 50 people a day who don't believe in Jesus by name and so if you're already doing that, amen God bless you, keep going but for a lot of us we might want to see our friends and family come to Christ, come to faith um, to be saved in Jesus name but we just kind of don't pray about it so over the next 8 weeks while we're looking in I want you to think about one person Think of their name right now, perhaps. Or or maybe you'll need to think over the next few days with one person that you know, that you care about, that doesn't yet know Jesus. And the challenge is this. I want you to pray for them every day. That they would come to know Jesus. To keep our prayer and our hearts outward while we're taking the. So what values should shape the church? And so I'm going to look at one kind of thing each week. And so this week, uh, we're looking at love. Love is the first culture code. And so uh, we find this instruction from Jesus himself. He says, a new command I give you in John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Who picked up in those verses what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples to do? Okay, love one another, yes. Okay, in case I didn't get the point, uh, a couple chapters later in John 15, which sometimes between chapters in the gospel stories there's ages and ages and weeks and that but but not between john 13 and 15 this is kind of all part of i don't know exactly how much time but it's all part of that 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 grouped together storytelling of the last few chapters of john and and so in john chapter 15 verse 12 jesus says this my command is this love each other as i have loved you and if they miss that a few verses later Jesus says it again, this is my command, love each other. And so Jesus himself gave this as the primary command for how the church should interact with each other. Of course Jesus said, love your enemy. Of course Jesus said, love those who persecute you. He said to love outwardly. But his command to the church about how they should interact with one another, their their relationships with with one another, centered on this. This is my command, love each other. And so this is in Jesus leaving him. This is the narrative of, of Jesus on his way to the cross, to his death and resurrection and ultimately ascension. This is the one thing he wanted them to get when he was no longer going to be bodily present with them, is this instruction, love each other. Jesus repeated the command and also the New Testament writers, almost every writer of the New Testament that wrote the letters and the gospel accounts records this, uh, repeats this instruction to the church. And so uh, there's so many examples, I'm just going to pick out a few, but the Apostle Paul says in Romans twelve ten, be devoted to one another in love On on one another above yourselves so next week we're going to pick up that theme of honoring one another But Paul says he repeats what Jesus says be devoted to one another in love the writer of the Hebrews in Hebrews 13 verse 1 says keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters it's connecting with that family story that that Deb spoke about last week that that we love one another with an intimacy that's like being a brother and sister Peter The enthusiastic apostle wrote, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter's hinting at, we can get some other stuff wrong. We can get some other stuff a bit mixed up, as we all do. But above all else, if we love each other, we'll get through. Above all else, love each other. And the Apostle John repeats it about fifty thousand times in the space of about six chapters. But but he, in one example, he says, "Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another." The thing is that that this instruction from the scriptures to love one another, it is directed at you and me. It's directed at me in how I interact with you. It's directed at you in how you interact with me. It's directed at each of us at how we interact with each other. It's the the most repeated of the one another or each other commands. It is, in fact, the defining cultural value of the church. Love is the defining Cultural value of the church. At least it should be. In John 13 35, we've already read this, but but just going back to that place to pick up something else, Jesus says, By this, that's this loving one another, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so our love for one another is to be the defining characteristic, the thing in which those from outside the world, outside of the church, look at us and go, there's something about them, they must be followers of Jesus because I've never seen love for one another like that. There's something about us that that the way we love each other reveals something about the nature of Jesus. It's the defining characteristic of what it means to be church. It's the defining cultural value of the church. And without it, Peter says, if we have love, then it covers a multitude of sins. But the thing is, without love, everything else is a complete waste of time. Without love, let's let's grab this thought. If we don't have love for each other, everything else we do as a church is a complete waste of time. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul was writing. When I think about the the kind of cultural values, the culture code we're we're looking over uh, for the weeks to come, and I think about this one especially, I think this is one our, our church is doing well in. And there's a few things that have reminded me over the last few weeks and brought to my attention, um, and if you think I'm speaking personally about you, whether you're here this morning or listening to the recording, I'm not personally speaking to, about anyone in particular because there's so many people, but, but we have a lot of people now in our church family that are in the process or have experienced significant healing and reconnection with the church after past negative church experiences. That they've had a bad experience with church and dropped out or, or or ran away and so we have a number of people in this church And I want to say it's not because oh I'm, I'm a great pastor it's not because we're, 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 we're shiny and blitzy or we've moved any mountains it's it's because we love each other well and so I want to commend the church that that you're doing well you're doing well at loving one another you're doing well at loving those who come into fellowship with us, no matter who they are or where they've come from, no matter how they're feeling about church at the time, we're doing well at loving each other. And so I want to commend the church for that. People are being healed and restored just simply through us living out, as best as we can, this idea of loving each other. And so the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 goes on to describe what, what love looks like. Love is patient, love is kind. And so I encourage you to, to read all of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in your own time and think about how that looks to be that way towards each other in the church. But, but I want to jump to another de- description of what love is and that's to jump back to John chapter 15 verse 12 and, and, and again pick up something fresh from it. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And so whatever descriptions or definitions we put to love, is, as, as awesome as, and, and as God's word, as Paul's description of love is in 1 Corinthians 13, the ultimate description, the ultimate definition, the ultimate example of the way that we should love each other is simply through looking at Jesus and loving each other as he loved us. In 1 John 3.16 it says that this is how we know what love is, that Jesus died for us. That Jesus' example of love is a a sacrificial one, it's a self-giving one, but it's also a relentless example of love. Jesus is the embodiment of God's relentless love for his creation for his people his refusal to give up on them with love and so the calling on us as we love each other is to love as Jesus loved, to love each other in the way that he loved to love each other with the example that he loves his disciples in the world with that's the example of love that we are called to follow and so I want to say church we are doing so well at loving each other but when we look at the example of Jesus there's still room to grow don't hear that negatively or as a condemnation because Jesus sets a pretty high example that's, a, that's an example that we'll be learning from and pursuing and growing towards for all the days of our life, for the, the history of this church going forward. That's an example we'll continue to be pushing towards. But I want to say we're doing well, but don't stop getting better. Don't stop learning and growing to love more like Jesus. And, and so this morning, there could be so many things I could pick out about what it looks like to, to love As Jesus loved, but I just want to pick out three things that that I felt like God uh, put on my heart as I studied for this message um, about what it looks like to love each other in the church in practice. So three things. Acceptance, action, and affection. Who loves alliteration? Yeah. Okay. What does love look like? It looks like acceptance. It looks like action. And it looks like affection. So when we think about acceptance, we can we can look at Romans chapter 15, verse 7, when, where the Apostle Paul says this: accept one another. So we're told to love one another, accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another then. And so the culture of the church as we love each other in practice should be one of acceptance, one that embraces each other as Jesus embraced us. Think about what a culture of acceptance looks like. I, I suggest that it's helpful to think about what the opposite is. The opposite of a culture of acceptance is a culture of rejection and shame. And so if we're learning to love one another in practice, we're learning to move away from shame and rejection and judgment and learning to accept one another as Jesus accepted one another. I want to say this morning that, that uh, as I said, we're not focusing too much on the culture of the world, but, but a big cultural word at the moment is tolerance. Tolerance. want say we're called to so much more than tolerance. Tolerance is, I'll allow you to be near me, but I don't like it, and I'm uncomfortable with it. That's a very poor, ugly cousin of acceptance. We're to accept one another as Jesus accepted us. To get a picture of that, we can think about the woman caught in adultery, that, that the culture of shame and rejection brought this woman to the feet of Jesus and said, the law says that we should stone her. The law says that she should be you know, so shame and filled with shame that we should throw stones at her. Jesus said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone and they all drifted away and then Jesus who was perfect who had every legal right to pick up a rock and end this woman's life said, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Jesus' acceptance doesn't condone sin but I think we need to let go of this phrase, well hate the sin but but love the sinner. I think hate should just not be part of how we define anything. We should just Love and accept the sinner. Jesus seemed to be able to accept without that then a, con- a condoning of sin. Some might think that that's what you're doing. The Pharisees accused Jesus of, you know, being uh, friends with sinners. They said it an accusation. I think Jesus took it as an encouragement. And so if you accept as Jesus accept accept sinners, accept broken people, accept people with different colour skin to you, accept people that live their life differently to you, accept people with different values, etc. And we're talking especially within the church here, but this overflows beyond that. There may be people that will think less of you because of it. They may think, oh, Dan thinks X, Y and Z is okay because he's really friendly with Abraham. And Abraham's all about X, Y, and Z. I'm trying to keep my pointing fingers about nothing in particular this morning. I don't want anyone to think, what's the pastor know about Abraham? <laughs> but we accept as Jesus, except that might mean that sometimes people think less of us. We can think of Jesus accepting a leper. The man that came to him and said, Jesus, if you're willing, I know you can make me clean. And just after that story in the scriptures, we see Jesus healing someone remotely, hundreds of kilometers away just with his voice. And so we know that Jesus does not have to touch the leper to heal him, but we're told Jesus said, I am willing. And it says he reached out and touched this untouchable man, this man that was required by the Lord to walk around shouting, unclean, unclean, so that no one would come near him or risk touching him and being made unclean themselves. Jesus, who we know did not have to touch him to heal him, reaches out and says, I'm willing. And touched him. We're going to accept as an expression of love to one another in the church. It might mean reaching out and touching either physically or emotionally or spiritually, connecting with someone that others would be uncomfortable to touch when we think about accepting we can think of Jesus and and, and the tax collectors especially those that became his disciples and and the, the thought that these people lived a life completely contrary to righteousness and faithfulness to God and we might think, well, yes, but they turned their life around, but, but that was a product of Jesus' acceptance of them, not a condition of it. And so to accept as Jesus accepts might look like accepting, not tolerating, but accepting someone whose life values and principles is something that you think that's completely incongruent with my view of who God is. So we love, we in practice through accepting one another as Jesus accepted us. And we also love in practice through action. See, this is not just about words. It's, it's not, not just about well, saying I accept you. It's about enacting on that. It's not just saying I love you, but it's about putting that into action. And so the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3, 16 and 18, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, the Apostle Paul says as a father, as a father to the church, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. They don't think John here is saying you should never tell someone that you love them. He's saying don't tell them that if you're not going to put it into action. In John's Gospel, the, the story is recorded of Jesus uh, setting the example of love in action. It's the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. I'm just going to pick a few verses from there. And So in John chapter 13, verse 1, uh, it tells us, it was just before the Passover festival, which we know is just before Jesus was crucified, buried, rose again, ascended into heaven. It was just before this climactic event of the ministry of Jesus that saved the entire world of those who put their trust in him. Just before that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, that's his disciples who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Other translations would say he now showed them the full extent of his love. That's the introduction that Jesus, that, sorry John gives to Jesus' act of washing the feet. So we can draw all examples out of uh, Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. It's an act of service, it's an act of humility, it's an act of honouring. But primarily John wants to see this action as an act of love. And so we jump down to 14 and 15. It says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. This is Jesus, of course, speaking. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And so, yes, Jesus is saying we should serve each other, we should honor each other, we should be humble, and we should take the lowest role. But but he's saying all of that in the context of, of this action of service, of humility, of honoring, is an action of expressing love for each other. We should love each other and put it into practice through accepting, through action. And finally, I'd like to suggest through affection. Now, I know there's some of us in the room that when I say that word affection, there's a little ooh, squirm that goes through us. And I admit, when I was studying for this whole series and was looking through the Bible for all these each other, one another verses, I first came across, when I first came across this verse, Romans 16 16 greet one another with a holy kiss I was like, oh, I'm, just, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not doing a sermon on, on holy kisses and kissing technique etc um, I didn't didn't realize until I didn't realize until preparing for this series that four times in the New Testament we're told this and one trend the NIV um, I'm not going to go through them all, but the NIV in 1 Peter 5.14 actually translates that greet one another with a kiss of love. And, and so I thought, wow, it's in there four times. What do we, what do, we do with this? And, and obviously there's a whole bunch of cultural things around that. There's a whole bunch of you know what it meant to express um, you know friendship in, in the ancient Near East and, and what it means in modern Western uh, Australia. Um, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of cultural leaps for us to make, but but I felt like God just said to me, it's about affection. It's 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 not just about accepting one another. It's not just about putting it into action. It's about having a level of affection for one another in the church. The Greek word for kiss, this this holy kiss or this loving kiss, is thelema. and it literally means a kiss to show respect or affection between friends. So it's not a romantic kiss. Okay, when you kiss your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend, um, it's typically not a holy kiss. Something else is going on there. When I kiss my wife, it's holy. Um, <laughs> this is something different this is a philema it's a kiss to show respect or affection between friends and it says that is people sharing a deep bond and so what I am not suggesting is that our welcomers are going to start kissing you when you come to <laughs> not even a holy kiss one um commentator I saw about this, you know, online not published in a book, but said sorry worship leaders, these kisses are either unforeseen or sloppy and wet Um, if you know about that song um, if you don't know what I'm talking about just punch in a Google when you get home worship song, sloppy wet kiss and you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about but I'm not suggesting we start kissing each other I am suggesting that the kind of love That the scriptures encourage us to have for one another is more than acceptance it is more certainly than words it's more than action it's actually a deep bond of affection for one another and that affection is something that we might be comfortable expressing in different ways and certainly if you're expressing your affection for a brother and sister in the church, you want to make sure that they're comfortable with how you're expressing it towards them, personal boundaries and all of that. But I think it's more than the physical action, it's more about how do we see each other as brothers and sisters in the church. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.8 said, God can testify how long how I long for all of you Throwing to the church in Philippi with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's something in his heart for the church in Philippi that, that, that's more than just I long to come and, and, and accept you, and, and you know, even the naughty ones, I long to come and accept you. There's something more than I long to come and express my love through acts of service. There's, there's a deep affection within him that in this Instance, he's far away from them, but he expresses it in words. He wants them to know that. It's true. He said, God can testify to this, that I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That also points us towards an understanding of how Jesus interacted with his disciples. Who remembers? how John describes his own posture at the Last Supper. Yeah, some translations would say In, reclined on the bosom of Jesus. More modern translations would say something along the lines, if he was leaning back against the chest of Jesus. Jesus' love was not cold, was not merely practical, was not merely functional, but was affectionate. The thing about affection is it might not mean a sloppy wet kiss, it might not mean a holy kiss, it, might, it won't mean transgressing someone else's personal boundaries, but it usually means stepping outside your own comfort zone. Beating words or actions, no matter how we express our affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ, it usually means a little step outside of our comfort zone. So I want to encourage us as a church that we are doing well. We are loving each other well. We, we are putting into practice this idea of acceptance that we do accept and embrace those who come through uh, into our church family. <coughs> we are doing well in, in expressing in action our love for one another. And I believe we are doing well in our affection for one another. But I want to pray as we finish that we wouldn't be content with where we're at. If Jesus is the example, the definition of what it looks like for the church to express love to one another, then then we should know there's always room to grow. As it says in the scriptures, from glory to glory into the image of Jesus Christ um, so as our worship team come and we're going to express our love towards God I want to invite everybody to stand um, who's physically able this morning thanks a lot and so I want to pray this verse from 1 Thessalonians it's actually only verse 12, not 13, sorry. A typo. I want to pray this over us as a church, but before I do that, I do want to just pray for any who are amongst us, uh, here this morning especially, but for those who are part of our church family and not here this morning. That as we grow in expressing love for each other, that those who've had negative church experiences, who felt shame or rejection, not the lack of acceptance or for whatever reason had a bad experience with church be that here or somewhere else that they would just simply find healing as we learn to love each other more and more and so Father I pray for for any of us here that wrapped up in the idea the word the thing called church is some level of pain and hurt some level Father because we are all human then and you've chosen to make a people a church out of humans at some level for all of us there's there's some level of hurt tied up with church so Father I pray and I thank you for this church community though we're not perfect to echo Peter's words though there's a multitude of sins pray that you would enable us to love one another in a way that is healing. So I pray for those that that are hurt by church, be that from here or elsewhere, Father, I pray that the love in this church family as it's enabled by you would bring them into a place of healing. Father, I pray that you would continue to work this ministry through us. That people would be reconnected and re-established in the fellowship of your church here at Yes Community Baptist Church. And so, Father, I pray for each of us that you would cause our love for one another to overflow and to increase. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that we would not be content with, with being a church. That's where we're at. And though it's a good place of loving, I pray that you would cause our love to overflow and increase one another. May we find the ability to accept one another. May we be led by you into actions that express love. And may you lead us into a place of affection for one another. In Jesus' holy name, If you've been blessed and encouraged by this message, we'd love for you to become a part of the Baptist family. Log on to ycbc.church to find out more.